We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope capital campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. Um, do you love our new altar? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, so a quick announcement on that. So one of these days I'll explain to you why we chose the, the symbols we did that are in the altar. Our church is meant to teach you. It's meant to teach all of us and remind us of hugely important things in our lives. Christianity lives through symbols. Uh, and so churches are meant to speak to us. They're not just meant to be places that we need a practical building to be in. They're meant to be places that remind us of the truth. And they teach us what life is about. They teach us about who God is. And they call us to live for something more. Uh, I think our church does that. I'm so happy. Thank you for being a part of it. Um, I just love this church. I think it's so beautiful. We're going to have a dedication mass. It's going to be on September. Well, I'll wait for the announcements because I'll get the date wrong. It's a Tuesday night, and we're hoping that everyone can come. If you all do, it will be packed, but that'll be great. Uh, praise God. We are going to fix these microphones. I know the microphones look a little weird right now. We are going to make that so they're not kind of propped on the side, um, but that's to come. One note on today's gospel before we jump into our main theme. When I was praying this week, the thing I thought I was going to preach about today with our readings was the church scandal. Uh, God kind of led me in a different direction as we got close to Sunday. But I do want to mention this. This is important. You should be outraged by the scandal in the church. Every single one of us should be. We should be absolutely outraged and disgusted by the corruption that has infested our church. It's important that we are. If you're not upset about what's happened, you probably don't love God's church enough. We get upset when something that we love and something beautiful is disfigured. And if we're not outraged by the corruption in the clergy, that probably means we haven't loved the church enough. It's worth reading today's parable. Today's parable, when you go home today, Luke chapter 12, this is the end of Luke 12, Jesus' parable today directly looks at a time when the apostles, when Jesus is gone and the apostles are in charge of the church and those who succeed them. Very clearly, Jesus in the parable talks about an oikonomos, which is a slave who's put in charge of a wealthy household. And that's what priests, bishops, and the Pope are. We are, as Paul says, we are slaves of Christ Jesus, who is the real king. Right? Think Lord of the Rings, Denethor, and there's the real king who's coming back. Tolkien was Catholic, raised by priests. Scary thought. Anyway, <laughs> that's who we are. Priests, bishops, deacons, all of us, we are slaves of Christ the Lord. And he puts certain slaves in charge of the house. In today's parable is about is a, an encouragement and a warning for those who are in charge of the house. 
right? And so Jesus today says, oops, wrong ribbon, that's Hebrews. At the end of the, the parable today, Jesus says, that servant who knew his master's will but did not make ready or act according to his will, right? Those of us who know what we're called to do but don't do it, he shall receive a severe beating. That scares me. Because I know the kind of priest I'm supposed to be. I know what I have been entrusted with. Brothers and sisters, two just brief points and then we're going to move on. Judgment is a good thing. It can be a scary thing, but it's a good thing. And if you're horrified by the scandals today in the church, as you should be, Jesus Christ tells us today that to whom much is given, much will be asked. Priests and bishops and deacons, we and and especially the Holy Father, all of us, we will stand under a greater judgment than the average Catholic. I will have more to answer on for Judgment Day than if I had not become a priest. So there is a judgment coming. God allows his church to be purified, but that doesn't mean because of the scandal of those in charge that the church isn't holy. The church is holy, and that's why those of us who have authority will be judged at a harsher standard. So pray for your priests. Pray for bishops. Pray for the Holy Father. Pray for our deacons. And I want to encourage you, when I became a priest, it wasn't because I was particularly inspired by priests. Not to be harsh on those who have gone before me. But I wasn't. I became a priest because I loved the church And I thought that the Catholic Church in general was looking very pathetic. And I fell in love with Christ and I said, Lord, I'll probably be worse. But I love you and I want to serve and I want people to understand how powerful the gospel is. Young men, or maybe not so young men, we need good priests. The scandal in the church should not make men stop thinking about priesthood, it should call you to say, I will lay down my life for what is good and true and holy because the people of God and the mystery of Jesus Christ and his church deserve good and faithful priests. And some of you in this church this morning, I am convinced we're going to have a raffle after mass. Some of you are called to that. And I mean that. Lord's is alive. Some of you are called to priesthood and you need to pray for courage to lay your life down. Okay, that's way longer than I wanted to go. Second part hopefully will be shorter. I want to talk to you about our second reading today. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about being someone who is in exile. Today in the creed, you're going to say, I believe and the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Lord Jesus, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. And I set my heart on that. The first time I did a pilgrimage on the Camino in Spain, I was in my first year of seminary, I just finished it, and we took this priest from Montana, who is just wonderful. 
great priest, but a little bit of a space cadet. And for some reason, he decided, he was about 50, I think, right about 50, really, really out of shape. Um, and, but he somehow agreed to go walk hundreds and hundreds of miles across northern Spain with a bunch of 20-somethings. Bad idea. But Father Bob, wonderful priest, and as he walked with us, he suffered tremendously on that pilgrimage. Um, but there were a lot of great stories, and God takes care of his priests. And I could tell a lot of stories, but I don't want to go too long. So anyway, Father Bob, the first day, we're walking. And Father Jason and I, we're not priests yet, but my friend Jason, now Father Jason, we were walking, and Father Bob is the first day, and he's hurting. He's hurting big time. And halfway through the day, he just, he just can't continue anymore. He's like, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. This is so hard. And he literally said, we were walking, and he says, now I know what Jesus felt like on Mount Calvary. <laughs> and G Father Jason, then Jason looked at me, and he was like, he gave me with his eyes a look of, it's the first day. <laughs> <laughs> We're in trouble. We stopped right there, and we went through Father Bob's backpack. And on, on his backpack, Father Bob had a ridiculous amount of things in his pack. One of the things he had in his backpack was a printer. <laughs> and if you ever walk the Camino de Santiago, and you're going to walk 13 miles a day with a 50-pound pack on your back, don't bring a printer. So Father Jason and I went through his backpack. We shipped a number of things to our final destination at the local town. And we divvied up a bunch of the things in his pack and distributed it among the rest of people. And here's the point. The Christian life is a pilgrimage. That's what it is. To be a Christian is to be on pilgrimage. It means you're walking somewhere. It means you're going in a direction. And if you're going to be a pilgrim, you've got to pack lightly. If you fill your backpack with a printer, right, and with all these heavy things, it's going to be very hard for you to walk the Christian path. It's going to be very difficult. Today in our second reading, Hebrews 11, I love this chapter of the Bible. Hebrews 11 is about all the martyrs and great saints of the Old Testament. And so today in our second reading, it says, it talks about we missed this part, but it talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Isaiah and all these different people. And in verse 13, we heard this. It says, these all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar. And here's the key. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You see, Abraham and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Noah and Enoch and King David and Paul and Peter and James and Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of God, all these people, they knew that they were strangers and sojourners. And here's my big point to you, brothers and sisters. That is you. 
you do not belong to this world. You are not someone whose treasure is here on earth. You are a stranger and a sojourner with God himself. And you do not belong here. And if you forget that, you can't be a pilgrim. Pilgrims know that they have not arrived. They know they're on the way somewhere. You and I are strangers and sojourners. The early church knew this. I have a couple quotes for you today. And these, I love these. In the, in the first century, get this. So I usually, at this Mass, I usually don't do Eucharistic prayer number one because it's the longest one, right? So you know why. That's why I don't do that. So Eucharistic prayer one, though, names the first popes of the church. And in part of that prayer, it says, it mentions Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, you know it, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmos and Damien, right, on and on. It mentions all these early figures. Those are the first popes of our church. Peter is the first. Linus, Cletus, Clement. Clement was the fourth pope of Catholicism. And he was pope in the 90s, not the 1990s, which were awesome, right? <laughs> but, but in the 90s, right? No, nothing before that, 90 AD. In the year 96, before the New Testament is finished, probably, in the year 96, Pope Clement wrote to the church at Corinth, and he says this. He starts his letter, and he says, from the parochoi of the church of God at Rome to the parochoi of the church of God at Corinth. Parochoi is a Greek word, and it means a community of exiles. So Pope Clement writes and he says, from the community of exiles at Rome to the community of exiles in Corinth. And you know that word, parochoi, you know it. It's been translated all throughout time, and in our day, that word parochoi in English is parish. That's what the word parish means. A parish is not a building. A parish is a group of people who know that heaven is their home and that this world is not. That's what a parish is. And that, that word in the Greek is used by the author of the letter to the Hebrews today when he says sojourners. Parochoi. Those who are not at home in this world. Do you know that? The church in the early ages knew that. A couple other quotes. There's a very famous letter. It's a letter to Diognetus. I know it's your favorite and mine. This is written in the year 125. In the year 125, Christianity is growing and people are saying, who are these Christians? They're different. Who are these people? And Methetes, which is a word for disciple in Greek, he writes to Diognetus, who's a Roman official, 
right? So imagine if no one knew what Christianity was today and a governor writes to someone in this congregation and he says, what are Christians? Mathetes says this, he says, Christians are indistinguishable from other men either by nationality, language, or customs. Right? You can't identify a Christian by looking on the street and seeing what they look like. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in. We look like everybody else, unless you're me with a collar. They follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, and yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. And this is the key. Listen to this. Any country can be their homeland. But for them, their homeland, whatever it may be, is a foreign country. Strangers and sojourners. Parochoi. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. You and I do not live for this world. How heavy is your pack, brothers and sisters? What are you attached to? What's in that bag? Do you got a printer in there? Is your social status in your backpack? Do you live for how beautiful you are? Do you live for worldly things? Do you live for that vacation home? Do you live for people knowing how awesome you are? They might live in any homeland, but whatever homeland they are in, it is a foreign country for Christians. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. They share their meals, but not their wives. They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. Brothers and sisters, today Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Jesus, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be a pilgrim, you got to take off that backpack and you got to go through it. And he's going to say, you got to dump those four things because you're never going to make it to where you really want to be if your pack's that heavy. And God, I promise you, is going to ask you for something you don't want to give him. He's going to ask you for something that you cling to and you say, Lord, I can be a good Christian, I can be a good Catholic, and I can have this relationship I know I shouldn't. And he's going to say, you, put down your pack and take that out. I want to leave you with this this morning. If you do that, it always, the devil wants us to think that whenever we sacrifice something for God, it's too much. 
He always does that to me. When God asks me for something, the devil whispers in my ear and he says, it's too much. Brian, it costs too much. You can't do that. You're a pretty good guy. Right? You've given up a lot of things. Don't give that up. And he makes us think it's going to be too much. Brothers and sisters, there is a joy of a light pack. When your pack is light, you're going to walk with joy and freedom and happiness. I promise you. And God will give you a hundredfold. In Hebrews 11, we heard today about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was a pilgrim. And God said, you've got things you've got to lighten your pack. And the hardest one for him, harder than any of us have been asked for, was the life of his son. I don't think God has asked any of you for that. In everything Abraham has, right? Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews makes fun of Abraham today. He says, Abraham was as good as dead. I don't know about you, but I've never said that to anyone. Right? I don't go to the hospital and be like, well, you're as good as dead. You know, you might as well have faith in eternal life. I never say that. Hebrews believes in heaven. It says, Abraham was as good as dead. How could Abraham do such a thing? How could he offer up Isaac? Isaac is not just his son. Abraham has nothing except him. So how could he sacrifice his son? And did you hear this? So powerful. He who had received the promises, that's Abraham, was ready to offer up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. Isaac is Abraham's everything. Abraham has no hope in this world. His only hope is through his son. And God said, give me your son. How could Abraham do it? If today if someone offered up their son, we would all be horrified. How could Abraham do it? Hebrews says, he considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. How did Abraham sacrifice Isaac? And if you don't know the story, it's Genesis 22. Go look it up. God stops him. It doesn't happen. But how can Abraham even consider it? Because Abraham believed in the resurrection. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, he did receive him back, and this was a symbol. Brothers and sisters, God's going to ask you to give up your Isaac. He will ask you to give up something that means everything to you. And you can do it, because you believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. When we give things to God, we receive them in eternal life. And it's a hundred thousand million, whatever the number is, it's infinitely better. It's in Christ. So Jesus, today, Lord, so many things, but we pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis. We pray for Archbishop Aquila. We pray for all bishops, priests, deacons. We pray for those you have set over the house. 
Lord, that they might be faithful and avoid harsh judgment. But Jesus, today we pray for a greater hope in eternal life, that we might really be pilgrims, Lord, that we might travel lightly, that we might believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us now stand and profess our faith. I believe in one, one God, God, the Father, Father Almighty, Almighty maker, maker of